Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Man, you could go ahead and have your seats. I am so excited to be in Canada. My word, what a country. So many COVID tests to come see you all. They just keep testing me. I turn left, turn white. Are they sticking nasal swabs in my nose and spit tests and shooting me full of stuff just so I can be in this country? I'm joking. Just love your country. Hey, just to let you know, uh, you all have been making the headline news around the world. <laughs> Do you know this? Uh, it, it's not local news. It's, uh, I, I was on the phone the other day with a pastor in uh, and uh, where, where does he live? He lives in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. That's really far from here. It's like a 36-hour flight or something like that. And they know about Canada. I told him I was coming up here. He's like, what is happening in Canada? I was like, something about trucks and stuff. I don't, don't worry about it. I'm from America, so we're, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> crazy, crazy. Hey, Vivid Church, what a special place. What a place where the, the, the Spirit of God resides. Uh, uh, and it's not because of a building or, or places in the city. It's because the people of God are here. Getting to meet your, your team first is, was an honor. Uh, coming, you, you quickly pick up on the DNA of the house through the, the relationships that you begin to build with the people. And uh, this is a very special place, a, a place that's worthy of honor. I hope you know that. I hope it's something that you appreciate. Maybe you're new here or you feel new. Uh, I just want to personally, as a, a, a family friend, welcome you into this family. It's a, a family that will do life together, laugh together, lots of, lots of laughter. I, I, I haven't, my, my throat isn't struggling because of preaching uh, 600 times in Canada this week. It's struggling because of all the laughter and the conversations that I've had with the leaders here. And Pastor Justin, you're, you're a person worthy of honor. Uh, honor is something we, we give because of what it does in us, but it's so much easier when the person's honorable, right? And uh, you're, you and your family completely honorable. Getting to meet your kids is actually the expression of who you are and who you really are and seeing their authenticity and character and getting to meet you. Jennifer, is, as I can just tell the, 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 the sweetness of the Lord that exists in your home, the peace even in the child that you're holding right now, stared me down the whole worship service. It's just like, oh my gosh, so cute. And uh, I, I honor you, and I, I'm happy to be welcomed into your family. It's a large family to be welcomed into, and I'm a part of a large Italian family, and I just love getting together with the siblings. And so couldn't we be family? Can we be family? Can I be family with you today? I'm here on behalf of my pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, they planted our church 17 years ago in the heart of Minneapolis with a desire to reach the most unreached people group in the world, which is the 24-year-old urban male, followed by the 24-year-old urban female. And uh, we have been unapologetically committed to stay focused on not appealing to Christians, but appealing to those who need a connection with the Lord and Savior. And what if church could be different? What if church could be designed not for the religious elites to experience their country club, but be designed to be on mission to see our world change and transform for Jesus. And I believe uh, prophetically today that 
Vancouver is a city strategic in the army of God. I believe that Vivid Church is a strategic station for God's presence to reside and then spread throughout this region. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of what I believe is becoming the greatest move of God in all of history? And he wants to use your life. Your life matters. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. They are not here on accident. They are here on purpose. You have actually completely designed this. They may not understand it. Maybe they're feeling completely out of it in this moment. Maybe they feel lost, un- misunderstood, and confused. God, you don't author confusion. And I, say, I just pray right now for the divine power of your Holy Spirit to go forth over the next few minutes that we would have an experience with our Savior again today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen? Amen. Let's give it up for God right now. Amen. He deserves our highest praise. Well, hey, uh, uh, I'm a classic American, so I'm very proud of all American things. Have any of you up here in Canada heard of Walt Disney? Is that a, you guys know about that? Like Disney World, Disneyland, just obsessed with Disney Plus right now and everything happening with the Mandalorian. Just, it's amazing. But uh, back, way back in 1928, Walt Disney was actually, uh, the, the person Walt Disney, by the way, it was a human. Uh, he was going through kind of a crazy experience. And I, I actually think the story of Walt Disney will set our Bible text up pretty well today. At the time, Disney's animation studio was actually really beginning to take off. And his number one uh, cartoon character at the time, I believe we have a picture of this, was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. I believe that him up there. So cute. Oh, it's kind of like Oswald. Oh, so he was, and he actually, Disney was getting endless requests for Oswald. And he barely had enough animators or money because he was, he was bootstrapping it, people. He was an entrepreneur making things happen, but he barely had enough money or animators to even keep up with the demand. And, and, and so finally he traveled from L.A. all the way across the country to New York City to meet with his distribution company. And his hope in that meeting was just to maybe get a little bit more money to meet the demand for his product. But get this, his, his distributor, a guy named Charles Mintz, was secretly plotting a hostile takeover of Disney. And when Disney got to New York, Mintz surprised him by saying, not only are we not going to pay you more, we're actually going to pay you less. What a great meeting. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I just want to let you know, I went and offered all your animators way more money, and we've hired them out from underneath you, and... and We technically own the copyright of Oswald, so we're going to start producing it without you. And guess what? There is nothing you can do to stop us. Could you imagine that moment, the shock of like, oh, I I just wanted a few more bucks, and you just took my baby. I mean, he legit did not see it coming, and in that moment, he actually felt completely Betrayed. Anybody ever felt betrayed in this room before? It was as if his baby was literally stolen from him. And it couldn't have come at a worse time. I mean, he was living paycheck to paycheck in his production studios. He was personally funding to even pay his employees. And, and at, at, he, he was thrust into this moment had, of having to accept the reality that was dealt him. And he began a, a very long and lonely train ride back to L.A. See, back then they had these things called trains, and they had to take those 
back across the country. In one of the darkest moments of this man's life, he had to start all over again. Kind of felt like that the last couple years, right? Some of us have just had to start all over again. But as he looked out that train window, he began to actually start sketching again and doodling on that train. And as hours passed, he came up with a simple little idea of a cute little mouse that we all know now as Mickey Mouse, right? I think it worked out for him. I want you to hear this, church. In the middle of his darkest moment, that's when he stumbled upon his greatest idea. And I I just think the reason why I love this story is because, honestly, we all go through low moments. And maybe it's not COVID. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your physical body. For many of us, the last two years have just felt like the dreams have been stolen from us. And, and, And not just once, but time and time again and Think about a church that, that was, was, was really experiencing connection and ownership and then COVID shuts the church down globally and churches all across Canada can't meet 70, 80, 90 weeks thrust into isolation. So I, I just believe that I'm here today from Minneapolis, Minnesota to encourage you in this moment. And I, I just believe that today that we can just take a moment right now in this service as we gather together, wherever you're at, we gather together in the listening of, of God's word and, and maybe a message to encourage you to just allow God to lavish his grace upon your life in this moment. I believe that that's the God we serve. Listen, church, God loves you. God loves you way more than you think. I need you to hear this today. But I'm also sharing this story because actually what we need more, more than just a, maybe just another moment of emotional surrender in a service is honestly, I want you to hear this. Uh, we just need people to surrender with. That's how God has designed us. Some of us just need righteous people in our lives to, to be desperate with us, to see us through to healing, to to see us through to our miracle, to, to experience new levels of freedom. And I just speak freedom over this room today. Did you catch what I said there? Let me say it like this. What we need is something more than just a moment of surrender. We need friends to surrender with. Amen? And I just believe today that there are a couple people tuning in right now to this message as I speak. There are, there are those that just need to experience victory in an area of your life. And I, I just believe that God is, is calling us to a moment to just focus in on him and, and allow ourselves to maybe change the way we think and to maybe move into a position where he can help us find victory with other people. And I say this because when you study scripture, many of the greatest Miracles occurred when two or more people united in faith together. And, and this can certainly be said in the scripture we're going to be looking at today. In 1 Samuel 14, let's go there. And if you don't know this story in 1 Samuel, it covers actually the tragic story of a failed leader named King Saul. 
At the time, Saul was the ruler of God's people, but he actually, the dude was actually like a complete and total spiritual wimp, to be honest with you. As we look in scripture, every time this dude had a chance to be a great leader for his people, he would actually allow his fears to completely take over him. And and the crazy ironic thing about Saul is he actually had a pretty amazingly dynamic godly son named Jonathan. Jonathan was a faith-filled man of God who trusted God and knew that God had greater plans than defeat for God's people. And in some ways, Jonathan was kind of the exact opposite of his father. We see in the context of 1 Samuel 14 that the Israelites were being oppressed by a foreign nation called the Philistines. And and at the time, the Philistines were actually, it's kind of crazy as you study scripture, they were way more technologically advanced than, than the, army, the armies of, of the Israelites. And actually, the army of the Philistines at this time was 18 times larger than the few men that Saul had left. Listen, they had tens of thousands of soldiers who were actually at this time marching to wipe out the Israelites. And, and check this out. This is kind of crazy. Scripture makes a point to highlight this. The entire Israelite army only had two swords. I mean, they literally, they only had like, they're going to go to war against uh, the Philistines. And they had two swords. And, and it's, it's nuts. The, I don't even know how this worked. The way it was arranged, they had to pay silver and gold to even have their tools sharpened. And so the only people that could even afford a stinking sword was Saul and his son Jonathan. And and so the big question in this moment is, what is Saul going to do? And check this out, the short answer. Saul wasn't going to do anything. He turned into a total wimp in this moment. I mean, the very moment when he should have been mobilizing the Israelites, instead, the Bible teaches us that he was camping out under a pomegranate tree with 600 soldiers waiting to die. What a great leader. Well, here they come. We're done. We're done. Well, in, in this moment... The son Jonathan, who was a man of strong faith, was like, this is completely ridiculous. And I am actually going to do something about it. God promised to defend us, Deuteronomy 28. And so get this. Jonathan and his armor bearer, basically, it's like his personal bodyguard armor bearer. Uh, It's basically like uh, the, the Kobe here to Pastor Justin, like beef, you know, big muscle dude, protecting us all the time, just like super in shape, keeping us like, like everywhere I went with him, I'm like, we're totally like, no one's messing with us because of Kobe. It's basically that, like Jonathan and his armor bearer. And, and, and he was like this, like, let's sneak away from everyone here in the camp and we're gonna go size up these Philistines. So we, I'm gonna pick it up right here in 1 Samuel 14, 4. This is what scripture says. On each side of the pass, Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other was Sana. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other stood toward the south toward Geba. Okay, so we see in scripture that the Philistines are, are camped out on the top of two cliffs. And so Jonathan comes, the dude's nuts. He comes up with this crazy idea and we see it in scripture here in verse six. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. What a weird highlight in scripture. So basically, he's like, hey, bro, how about you and I go on a complete suicide mission? And, and listen, keep in mind, circumcision was, was a sign that, that you were in covenant 
with God. I, I just want to clarify, he wasn't ripping on these people's reproductive organs. It was not the goal. Some of you are thinking, I thought he was a wholesome leader. Well, he was a man of God. So check it out. Jonathan's faith in, in this moment, he was so desperate for the victory of God's people. And he had faith in God. He knew if, if listen, if I could just get one person to agree with me, then, then surely God would show up on my behalf. Jonathan says this, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether, whether many or few. Basically, Jonathan knew in faith was this. When God is on our side, numbers and resources do not matter. And check this out. I just love uh, the Kobe of Scripture here, the armor bearer's response in this moment. You're, you're really highlighted today, Kobe. This is all about, this is for you, man. We, look, look at this scripture in verse 7. Do all, and he says this to Jonathan. What a powerful, powerful moment. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. In Hebrew, it literally translates, I am with you like your heart is within your body. I am so committed. I'm so in covenant. I'm so with you. And in the unity of that moment, something could happen. So watch what happens next. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climbed to this cliff and immediately started taking out the whole entire outpost. Within just a few minutes, Bible, the Bible teaches us that they ended up killing over 21 Philistines on a half acre of ground. And remember, they only had two swords in the whole entire army. Listen, we're talking in this moment, this is like Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, back-to-back on a half acre of ground. Okay, wait, I know you're a youthful church, so it's a little bit more like maybe Vin Diesel, The Rock, kicking butt, taking names, something's happening. And when the Philistines saw this, the Bible says that they were so struck in fear. They were so struck in fear by by the attack, the surprise attack of these two men. And if that wasn't enough, then suddenly... God showed up in their battle and started shaking the ground. Literally, there was an earthquake in this moment. An earthquake takes place. These dudes, just imagine this. You're crawling up a hill. You kill 21 people. And then the whole ground begins to shake. And everyone began to freak out and start running away. Within just a couple of hours, the whole entire Philistine army dissipated into nothing. I think this is actually a pretty amazing, powerful story of just one of those moments in Scripture where God does the impossible. Amen? But where did that start? Well, honestly, it started with the faith that God can do the impossible. And then it was followed by a desperate invitation into that faith, an agreement together. It started with the faith of two men saying, in agreement, maybe there can be a victory That seems like it's an impossible thing. And listen today, church. Listen, Vivid. The reason why I just love this scripture is because it basically, honestly, it basically frames up the perfect, fantastic framework of church. And let me propose this to you today. Do you have friends who will trust God and take on the impossible with you? Or, or, Or maybe to say it another way, do you have a friend with desperate faith? that would invite you into some breakthrough in your life? Do you have friends who are are willing to say, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf? Do you have friends who would say, I am with you heart and soul? Honestly, church, 
because if you can't give me an affirmative yes to these statements, then I actually think that you're missing the very essence of what it means to be the church. You might be showing up in a church service just like this, but listen, church, it has to be something more. I'm talking about something supernatural, the type of fellowship where people take off their filters and their facades and their masks, philosophically speaking. All the perfection that we promote and put out there in the world where people get vulnerable and authentic, authentic with their life and people begin to agree together in prayer until something happens. And, and to be honest, I, I actually do realize today that this, maybe some of you, you're just newer to this whole church thing. Maybe you're newer, newer to Vivid and Maybe the last couple years have thrust you into an isolation you honestly don't know what to do with. But I, I want to encourage you today. I want to give you the, what I believe is the secret sauce of getting connected. Anybody want this secret tip? It's real simple. I encourage you to come to church 15 minutes early. I, I encourage you to stay 15 minutes late. I want to invite you to take a step and make yourself available to actually get connected. What I call it is the 15-minute rule, and it, it seems so basic, right? But as an introvert, uh, for many years, I'm a naturally just super introverted, and I grew up as a kid in church, so I knew, dude, okay, they're going to start with, like, a worship song, and so I can come, like, five minutes late, sneak around the back. No one will talk to me. I got my mask on. They can't see my face, and then I'm going to listen, and then towards the end, they're probably going to say some stuff from stage, and I can just kind of wander out and get out before anybody talks to me. I did that for many years, never connected, super isolated, went through a ton of pain all by myself. Listen, I've been through tragedy in isolation, and I've been through tragedy in community. It's way better with other people. It's way better to have people to see me to, through to my wholeness. And so I call it the 15-minute rule. And I promise you within a short window of time, if you would simply, if this, you have any takeaway from what I say today, and you catch this, and you decide in discipline, I will try that, then I promise you in a short window of time that God won't only provide you a connection into an invitation for your life. I actually believe that many of you will become armor bearers for other people who will say, I am with you heart and soul. I believe that many of you are one step away from your victory, and it happens in a connection, not in an amazing worship song, not in how great my preaching is, but in a connection with a person that's in this place today that could uh, usher in your freedom. You know, we talked today about hubs coming up, and, and maybe you've heard that before, and you're like, yeah, 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 that's for the, the other people. I'm too busy. I'm too successful. My life's too chaotic. I would actually say your life's too chaotic not to be in a hub group. Your life's too chaotic not to be connected with other people. You need to create space to be invited into invitations to deeper levels of freedom in your life. I want to challenge you to take bold steps to get involved here at Vivid. I want to challenge you to take bold steps to, to, to go connect with a pastor or a leader following this service. I promise you, if you're new here, there are people in this church. I spent all weekend with them. They deeply care for you. They deeply care for your life, your circumstances, your finances, your physical body, your emotional health. Because frankly, here's what I know. God's calling on your life. It's too big and too great to stay in spectator mode. Church, are you hearing me today? 
Maybe, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but Nate, those types of, the types of problems that I deal with, it's, I'm, I am the exception to the rule. My problems are so unique that people are just not going to understand me. And these aren't going to be the solutions to my problems. Attending a hub is not going to actually help me. Going through culture course in the future is not going to help me. To which I say, you're absolutely wrong. In fact, every single week, I see miracles take place in, in the relationship of community groups and small groups and in hubs. Because people living in relationship and proximity to other people usher in healing. Listen, when righteous people, righteous Christians get together, something takes place. First Samuel 14, 6, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And I just know that Vivid Church is filled with people who have defied the odds and discovered the power of God. I know it. I know. I've met them this week. It's powerful. I've met people that have experienced a joy in their life they never thought was possible because they stepped into relationship and community. People saved during worship songs. People connected and found freedom from shame and addiction in this room, in this house. You have to know there is freedom here. I just know this house is full of people who can help you. But the only question you need to ask is, what am I doing to actively get around faith-filled people? Or or to say it another way, what are you doing to actually earn the right? Because there is a step you have to take. Sometimes you may have to visit two, three different groups to find the tribe that you feel best connected to. But here's the truth. Once you get it, I actually promise you, you're never going to want to go back to just spectator mode Christianity. You're never going to fall back into this loose isolation that so often captivates and imprisons our life. So much anxiety in this world, so much pain, so much fear. So it's only been amplified in the last two years, the pain, like three close friends of mine that were, in, uh, were not in relationship, not staying connected, isolated themselves, committed suicide in the last 18 months. We got to fight for each other. We have to fight for healing and wholeness in other people. It reminds me of a story that, that I heard a long time ago. It happened back during the Vietnam War. There was this young soldier named uh, James Steggles. And at, at the age 19, he lived through one of the most horrific war experiences. Every day during the war, he was on the front lines and his buddies were being killed. And every day, he lived in complete fear and terror. And of course, during that time, the Gideons, I don't know if you ever heard of a Gideon Bible, but the Gideons would send Bibles in the tens of thousands to the troops in Vietnam, and someone had given him a Gideon Bible, and he just put it in his, in his, uh, his pocket, almost like a, a lucky charm. He just kind of kept it on him. He never read it, but he, but he had it in his pocket all times, and, but he honestly, he just couldn't bring himself to read it, but things just kept getting worse. His 20th birthday passed. His 20th first birthday passed. And he finally just got to this point that he was completely depressed and suicidal and just wanted his life to end. And he just, he said, I just can't go on living like this anymore. And on February 18th, 1968, he prayed that it would all end. He felt for sure that day that he was actually going to die. See, bombs were exploding all around him, around his bunker. And sure enough, that, that, that night, his base came under attack. Suddenly, Jim heard a rocket, and it was coming actually straight at him, and it, it was like slow motion, three seconds to live, two seconds to live, one second to live, and suddenly, a friend came up and shoved him 
into this huge grease pit. The rocket hits and nothing happens. In fact, it ended up being a, a fuse malfunction. But Jim continued to just lay there in the pit. He was trembling and shaken and frozen in that moment, so afraid to move. In fact, he, for five hours, he reflected that he laid there just waiting for that rocket to suddenly explode because if he moved, he thought he would trigger the explosion. With his hands trembling, he reflects on this story that he actually reaches into his pocket and he takes out that little tiny New Testament Bible and he began to read the first 18 chapters of Matthew in the Gospels. He reads all 18 chapters and he gets to verse 19 and here's what it says. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gathered together, I am there among them. Suddenly in that moment as he read that, that God was with him, suddenly he felt the peace and the presence of God fall upon him and he knew he'd be all right. He knew he'd be okay. Well, after this all took place, Jim was able to re return home. And, and a, a friend of his told him this story that, uh, Jim, there was a night that I was just awoken in the middle of the night. And I just, I had this sense from the Holy Spirit that you were in trouble. And she began to immediately pray that God would spare Jim's life. As she was praying, she opened up her Bible and she immediately saw Matthew 18, 19 through 20. She immediately called a leader in her church who got out of bed in the middle of the night and drove over to her house. And the two of them together prayed for God to spare Jim's life. In fact, for the next five hours, they laid on their face before God, praying and interceding for Jim. And they stayed in it until they felt assured that God would take care of things. So as Jim listened, he said finally, wow, do you remember uh, when that was? And she says, uh, yeah, I actually wrote it down in my Bible. And right next to, to Matthew 18 were the words, Jim, February 19th, 1968. It was the exact moment that Jim was in that grease pit. Listen, church, we all need friends that would storm the throne of grace for us. We need small group leaders and hub leaders that would wake up in the middle of the night and just pray us through to peace. But let's be honest, friendships like this, they just don't happen overnight. We don't just find them anywhere. We have to take small steps of faith. Like I mentioned, that 15-minute rule. And today, I dare you, for those who are a part of this church, I dare you to be an inviter. I dare you to be the person that... That is that friend in the middle of the night praying to, to be a Jonathan with holy faith, to be willing to see others and be a part of seeing them through to wholeness, to grab your isolated friends and invite them to a hub this week or maybe in the coming weeks. Be intentional about inviting someone to church and connecting with them and plugging them in and, and not just showing up and letting them just wander and be insecure, but, but make them comfortable and take them to lunch afterwards or maybe get a coffee with them. Be a desperate inviter. Come on, Vancouver. I, I, I truly believe the greatest disciples in this world, the greatest 
the greatest ones that will have the, the, the most impact for the kingdom are not theologians. They're not the best orators and preachers. I don't think, I don't think necessarily that's the, that's the solution. I think it's just initiators. People invite people into wholeness. Say, I don't have all the solutions, but I'm willing to look at it with you and discover it with you. I believe. I believe in the power of an invitation. By the way, that story I shared about Walt Disney at the beginning, uh, you remember he lost his rabbit, right? Well, the, the, the funny thing is he made so much stinking money off Mickey Mouse that 40 years later he did the, just the, actually the coolest thing ever. He just went back and bought that rabbit. <laughs> He's like, I'm getting my rabbit back. You see, church, failure, loss, delays, they're never permanent. And when you have a God who loves, that loves you, who died for you, he cares for you, and you have friends that will carry you through the lowest moments of your life, actually, things, things don't seem that bad. And so if keys could come, and there's one last moment, one last story, sorry, one of the last stories that I just reflected on in my own life, a personal story, where I experienced the, the power of a desperate inviter. I want to throw a, a, this picture up. Uh, I believe we have it. Of, that's my twin. I'm an identical twin. Uh, there's one in this world that has the exact same genetic code as me. Uh, he, looked, he looked exactly like, I'm, we look a little different as we got older, but we looked exactly alike. In fact, uh, until I was 15 years old, no one called us anything but twin. Uh, I didn't even have my own name. It was like, hey, twin, come here. Twin, come here. And in a family of seven, I just kind of had this identity crisis. And so we looked exactly alike. And uh, I, this is uh, around age seven uh, for our birthday. And during that, that time, uh, something tragic happened in our city. There was one of those pizza place, arcade places in the mall, just a couple of miles from where we grew up. And there was a tragedy all around the national news where a, a, an eight-year-old kid was kidnapped from this, this place and was missing. And it was, I, I just remember in school hearing about it, a lot of stranger danger fear and a lot of that, that season of time, there's a lot of horrible things happening. And, uh, and over time, a couple months had passed, they ended up finding the body of this kid who had been killed. A lot of fear, I remember the kind of the story of it, and being careful and staying close to my parents anywhere we would go and holding on to them. And, and some of you in this room can relate as a a family of, of, of so many kids, uh, seven kids, and, uh, you know, you, we, to get places, we kind of go in a herd. It's kind of like just a mass group of people going anywhere. Well, this mall that we actually, uh, was our local mall that we all shopped in, and it was a part of where that we stayed connected, and so we were going there on a busy Saturday. They were having a trade show in the mall, and so all all of us showed up at the mall as a troop walking in the door, and I remember our parents buying us Cinnabon, just amazing experience. The smell of Cinnabon just sweeping over me right now in this moment. And uh, do you have Cinnabon in Canada? Okay. And uh, I remember looking through the trade show and looking at all the craft fairs and the hallways with my parents and, and holding on to them and trying to beg my parents to take us to the, the local arcade so I could play video games and my twin and I are walking with my mom, and we were so attached to my mom, and my parents were very vigilant and concerned about anything bad happening because of this story in the news. Suddenly, because of all the kids and the chaos in the mall, 
my mom and dad began to turn around looking for my twin brother, Andrew, who had gone missing and seemed like he had wandered off. And all of a sudden, my, my, my parents, they, they, they seemed not just kind of like, oh, we got to find him. That happened in the past. But they actually began to, like, demonstrate sheer panic and concern in this moment because of this horrible story from the headline news. And my parents actually escalated the, the scene. I remember it. It's almost like trauma has scarred my memory into extreme desperation. You see, politeness went out the window with that Italian mom and dad, and all of a sudden, they got very loud because they came from a very loud family, and they began to yell and invite every single person that they could meet into the mission of finding their lost son. I remember my mom running up to a security guard and weeping and crying and inviting him to try to find her lost son. And, and, and she didn't even have to describe him because she was like, he looks just like this one. And <laughs> it wasn't like my parents in that moment were like, well, we got more kids. It'll be okay. They became hyper fixated and concerned about the lost one. See, my mom, she knew the consequences if she didn't find her son. She began to run down that hallway, dragging me behind her and began to invite people to find him. Remember, she went up to a guy and uh, said, hey, I can't find my son anywhere. Would you help me? And he was actually, he picked up the mission. He picked up the responsibility. He says, I'm with you. Let's find your lost son. And he actually acted in the same level of concern. And so many other people were like, oh, it'll be okay. They'll find him. It happens all the time. But he picked up the burden. He picked up the burden and he began to run across this one section of the mall all across the food court. And he began to look for him and all of a sudden there was these two construction workers that this man sees. And these two construction workers are holding my twin brother in their arms and they're taking him out of the mall and kidnapping him. And this, this worker runs up to my my brother rips him out of the arms and runs him back to my parents and the cops show up. My, son, my brother, their son was saved in that moment. And I look back, I know it's a tragic story with a great ending and I reflect back on that moment and I just think about those who didn't care. I think about those who said someone else will figure it out. And I think about the one guy who picked up the responsibility and said, I am with you heart and soul. The passionate, all in, who cares what other people think, desperate, desperate inviters into healing and wholeness. A mom who would say, my lost son must be found, saved his life. I want you to hear this, Vivid Church. I believe that God is calling up a church of desperate inviters in this city to see the lost to seek the lost so that they may be found. I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know what you are up against, but I believe and have experienced the goodness of my Savior. I've experienced His healing in my own life. I've experienced the power of someone inviting me out of my sin and addiction and experiencing freedom and relationship with other people. 
I've experienced the power of being up in the middle of the night of praying for the addict through so they could stay free till the next morning. I've experienced the freedom of marriages being restored, lost sons and daughters coming home, people stepping out of isolation into wholeness. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus that we would experience the goodness of our God in this house. That this is simply the beginning of what God wants to do with Vivid. Would you be a part? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to be responsible to give you a moment to respond. Maybe you're in this room and maybe isolation has taken you over. Maybe fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and you're such in bondage. I believe in a God that can supernaturally set you free right now. Maybe you're in this room and you've been in spectator mode and you have a mediocre relationship with God, but God's calling you into more today. Maybe you're in this room and you just need someone to fight for you. I believe that this is your Sunday. I believe that this is a marked day that will change your life forever. So if you're here and that one of those areas speaks to your life, I just want you, between you and God, with whatever faith you have, say, God, would you show up in my life? I, I commit to take a step of faith today. I, I commit to surrender, to lay down my pride, to lay down my busyness and make myself available for the wholeness you desire for my life. And if that's you and you resonate, I'm going to be an inviter. I need, to, I need to stay 15 minutes. I need to get to a hub this week. If that's you, whatever it is, there's an action step for all of us. If that's you, and you have desperate faith in your life and you want to see... You want to see new levels of joy and new levels of freedom and new levels of peace. If that's you and you just want to experience all the goodness of God in our day, if that's you with your hand up right now just saying, that's me, I just want to experience God today. I need him. I, I need to be that inviter. I need to, I need to take some extra time. I, I need to hang out a little more. I need to make myself available. I need, that's me, my hand up. I'm in today, God. I'm responding to you. There's... And then right now, I just speak over this room names and faces of people that are isolated and alone that you can fight for. Right now, Holy Spirit, we just respond to you. We ask you to have your way, that this would be the beginning of the greatest movement we've ever experienced, that our best days are ahead of us, that this will be our best year because it's our best year spiritually, that we are stepping into new levels of freedom and purpose as we come together as your church. In Jesus' name, I pray over this house, a blessing over this house, that the days to come will be the greatest days, that we would experience unity, joy, and peace, that this would be a house of generosity, a house that would welcome anybody in, a house that would include those who are hurting and lost and fight for them to wholeness. I prophesy over this house that we would expand in this city to reach as many in our day for yeah. Jesus Christ. I prophesy over Vancouver that this would be a Jesus city, that we would see the light and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we would be ones that fill the gap and stand up and fight for others. And I thank you, God, for what you will do when your people respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, let's give it up for all that God is doing in this house.
We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.